episode 27, Dr. Glenn McCracken from eVisit talks about virtual video visits. American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know. Talking. Relentlessly seeking value. Glenn McCracken is an emergency room physician, so he knows firsthand the number of patients that show up in the emergency room because they need a medication refilled or they have a sinus infection. There are a number of reasons for this, but one of them is a relative paucity these days, a growing one, of primary care physicians and the resulting inability of patients to either get an appointment with their primary care physician as well as reach their primary care physician during off hours. I'm speaking with Dr. McCracken today about one solution to this Fandango, and that is using online video technology to enable the patient to interact and connect with their primary care physician in a really time-efficient way for both the physician as well as the patient. My name is Stacey Richter, and this podcast is sponsored by Franklin HealthCom. I'd like to welcome Dr. Glenn McCracken to the program today. Welcome to Relentless Health Value, Glenn. Hi, how are you? Thanks for having me. Can you talk a little bit about your origin story? How exactly did you find yourself on this journey of, of entrepreneurship? I've been a practicing emergency medicine physician for about 20 years. And when you live in the foxhole, you see a lot of the, the challenges in, in healthcare. You know, it always kind of seemed to strike me that we funnel everyone to the most expensive place to get care, and that's the emergency room, and it, and it, and it just doesn't make sense on any level. No one seems to benefit from that. To be more specific, you know, seeing somebody with the need for a medication refill or sinusitis in the emergency room, and you have a packed waiting room with people with chest pain and strokes, you just seem to have a, uh, a malalignment of resources. And those simple visits also tend to be extremely expensive. And it's, it's no wonder that healthcare costs so much. I wanted to do something that addressed that. And uh, I felt like it needed to come from a healthcare provider because we have the inside view of healthcare and we should be active if we want to fix things because I think we have the, the best perspective. That's really what precipitated this. I also felt like I needed some more business experience as I was running things in, the, in my group, a large group of 40 doctors, and I felt like getting an MBA would help me move toward some of the business initiatives that I would uh, challenge myself with in the future. Patients show up in the emergency room for sinusitis or for any kind of medicine refilled. Why does that happen? So I asked the patients, did, did you call your doctor and they... A lot of times they kind of chuckle and say, well, yeah, I can get an appointment in two weeks or I could get an appointment in a month or they just kind of laugh and say, are you kidding me? It's not that the primary care doctors, the family practice and the internists don't want to take care of their patients. We don't have enough of them. There is a huge shortage of primary care doctors. Small percentage of, of doctors coming out of medical school go into primary care. And then unfortunately, I think due to economic forces, uh, you see a large number of those doctors practicing in those fields going into concierge medicine, going into weight loss. They go into dermatological type 
practices and do lasers. And when you don't have a backbone of primary care doctors, what you have is an influx into urgent cares and emergency rooms. That makes sense. And so as you started to contemplate what your next steps in the business of healthcare might be, you recognize this as a, a problem that, that needed to be solved. Yes, yes. With that, there's definitely some things that could be done that would that actually everyone could benefit from. I helped start up a company called Stat Doctors. I was the chief medical officer there and and we approached this that we felt if we could provide the service outs- with this company, Stat Doctors, outside of the primary care doctors for businesses, we could alleviate some of the pressure on those emergency rooms. That works to an extent. I think that helps. That's a small piece of the puzzle. But I think there, there's more that can be done besides the, that traditional telemedicine model that we were doing. What does traditional telemedicine, what does that look like? So uh, stat doctors and teledoc and, and a lot of the companies out there provide a service of doctors. They, they have doctors on their payroll who provide services to businesses. And those businesses have high health care costs because a lot of them are self-insured. And when an employee goes to the emergency room, it costs that business money. So if you can provide an offering that says, hey, before those employees of yours go to the emergency room, they can see a, a doctor very conveniently, very quickly from the convenience of their home. This will save you money and your employees will be very happy with this and, and, and will decrease the uh, crowding in the emergency rooms. So basically, you've got a large employer, self-insured employer, or a, an insurance plan who recognizes the economic downside of patients who really don't have emergencies showing up in the emergency room. And they set up a call line and you know put posters in offices and things and tell patients to or, or, or tell people that they have an option instead of going to the emergency room. That's exactly right. There's a significant return on investment for companies to do that. So that that's the model that's out there right now. So you were the chief medical officer at StatDocs, and then, then what happened? Well, I felt there was also a better way to approach the market with a more unique business model. I founded a company called eVisit uh, with me and a business partner. And what we've decided to do with that company was to actually provide a software system to the primary care doctors themselves. And when, when you do that, I think there's some, some significant benefits. One is that you can keep the patient within their own practice because one of the things I had found out from working at Stat Doctors was that patients really want to see their own primary care doctor. That's really what they want. That's what's really best for the system. And the pain point for primary care doctors is, as we talked about, there's shortages of them. And when they're on call on weekends or in the evenings, they're not compensated to take care of people. But people need care after hours and on weekends because if you have a lot of illnesses like urinary tract infection or bronchitis or you need your blood pressure medication refilled, a lot of that stuff can't wait. And they're simple things that can be easily treated, especially by your primary care doctor. So giving them the software and the tools and the process to take care of their own patients and aligning everyone's incentives correctly, everyone wins. And that was really the model we wanted to create. Yeah, I can really see that by having the primary care physician disintermediated, if you will, from their patients, then 
you know, two things I could easily see happen. Number one, you'd have you'd get into the whole transfer of records business. You know, how how can a doctor who is not actively treating that particular patient know everything there is to know about that patient in order to make a confident medical decision? Number one. And number two, then that information is going to have to, you know, whatever happened with that particular patient is going to need to get transferred back to the PCP. So by simply enabling or empowering the PCP to handle those requests within their own practice, those particular troubles go away. Yes. And the, uh, there's other advantages, too. They can use their PAs, their nurse practitioners, as they have relationships with their patients as well. Again, it's, it's giving the, the consumer, the patient, what they want. And, and that's always a good thing. How does, how does eVisit work exactly? We have a software system that creates a video-to-video interface between the patient and the physician. The patient would simply get online, go to eVisit, find his doctor, and request a visit. In that process, the patient puts in all his information, his medicines, his allergies, his past medical history, and essentially a a medical chart is created. When he's ready, he says, request a visit with the doctor. The doctor gets a text or a phone call. He knows a patient is waiting. And then he goes online, interacts with the patient, finds out what's going on, treats them. He can eat prescribed up to 66,000 different pharmacies in the U.S., And the patient now is essentially getting care from the convenience of their home, and the doctor's uh, able to record this with a document, a medical record, that is actually able to be submitted for billing if they want to do that. And again, everything is is contained within that primary care uh, patient uh, relationship. Does this interact with with EHRs, or, or how does that work? In our initial offering, it does not, but in future offerings, we will have that capability to to integrate with EMRs, something that we're actually actively working on at this time as well. It's a tough, that's a tough one. Let me ask you this, with this massive recent news of CMS looking to reimburse physicians 42 bucks PMPM per patient per month for remote care, does that impact e-visit? It it does. Uh, There are a lot of legislative things going on that favor uh, telemedicine. I think we're we're in this time when the digital revolution is actually starting to marry with healthcare. We've been reluctant in healthcare to adapt to this technology world, but legislatively, there are a lot of initiatives that say we are going to pay for these visits. There are ICD codes for them. We are really allowing providers to, to, to use this modality of care. I think most people think this is going to be a ubiquitous form of care in the future. And it, and it makes sense. I mean, it's it simply, you can ask anyone and say, wouldn't you like to get treated for an urgent condition from home? I mean, we have the technology. Why aren't we doing this? It's not like these patients suddenly become free when those care options aren't available. To your exact point, they go to the emergency room, which is, to your point, exactly the highest cost way to, to care for them. Right, right. So can you just walk through, so say I'm a patient and my doctor uses e-visit. What does my experience look like? What happens? Of course, this modality is not for everything. If you're having chest pain, abdominal pain, there are things that need to be evaluated in an emergency room. But if you have one of the very common reasons why people see primary care doctors, you know, you have a sinus infection, urinary tract infection. When you feel those symptoms coming on, you would simply go to your computer fill out your your complaint, your medical history if you haven't done that, 
and you would simply just tap a button that said request an e-visit and your doctor would be notified that you need to be uh, taken care of. He would have within his practice the ability to set this up whether he would do e-visits during his practice or whether he would just do this after hours. And I think typically what would happen is they'd say, well, we'll keep our office open till 10 o'clock at night for e-visits between 5 and 10 p.m. And there would be some type of provider, whether it be a physician, a nurse practitioner, PA, that would take care of people up till 10 p.m. And they could, they could have this service provided for them. When they actually go online, we describe that a little bit. You have a video interface that's HIPAA compliant. Uh, extremely confidential, that the doctor could see you as a patient and you could see the doctor. And now you can interact almost as you're, you're almost replicating the exact visit you do inside the uh, uh, doctor's office, except just remotely. So I'm a patient and my doctor, I'm going to my physician's website. So in other words, e-visit is kind of um, a frame inside the, the doctor's own website. Is that how it works? They would go to evisit.com and then they would be able to find their doctor and, and connect with them through evisit. Got it. Basically, what the doctor would need to do is to provide materials to his or her patients, giving the, the evisit URL. Yes. We, we help the, the providers with marketing materials to get their patients to know what they do. And again, different practices have different models of this. Some want to practice during the day and add this to their workflow in a, in a daily office work, and some of them just want it for after hours and weekends. Depending on what they would want, that's what they would market to their patients. So if I'm a doctor, I decide I want to set aside, are they actually setting aside time or are they doing these e-visits in between their current patient load? Usually it's in between their patient load and when the patient doesn't show up for their appointment. What's the percentage of patients that start to e-visit uh, well, let me ask it this way. Are, are patients pretty good at self-selecting whether an e-visit would be a better option than an office visit? In other words, do they kind of know the difference between what things are better served? They don't really need to have a physical exam? That's a great question. It's, it's, it's interesting. There are so many medical ailments that people know exactly what they have. They know exactly what they need. I'll give you an example. You have a woman that has a urinary tract infection. She's had 10 urinary tract infections before. She knows exactly which antibiotics work, which ones don't. She knows when she has a kidney infection or not. And simply she knows that if she doesn't get it treated quickly, that it can lead to that. And so there are so many things. People have you know, cold sores. They have bronchitis, and they just need their inhaler. They get their seasonal sinusitis or bronchitis. I mean, there's just a myriad of medical illnesses that people are very savvy and know exactly what they need. And I can tell you, this telemedicine has been going on for decades. It's just that doctors used to do this over the phone when we had doctors to do it. When doctors were on call on the weekend, they'd talk to their patient. When they had a sinus infection, they'd put them on Augmentin. And that's telemedicine. They weren't physically examining them. But now we just we don't have the the resources to do what we used to do in medicine. And that's why we're having uh, all the challenges downstream in emergency rooms. This makes a lot of sense. I mean, first of all, just from a clinical partnership standpoint, you know, where the patient where we're respecting the patient's judgment and, and 
understanding that the patient is a valuable partner in their own diagnosis and in their own health. I mean, this is a really testament to us doing exactly what you're just what you're you're saying, you know, realizing that a woman who's had 18 bladder infections knows what a bladder infection is. (laughs) Um, And at the same time, by everything's an opportunity cost and and there's gigantic opportunity costs relative to PCP's time. In other words, if a PCP is spending 15 minutes with a woman who knows she has a bladder infection, then that's 15 minutes that that PCP is not spending with somebody who maybe has some stomach thing, which is not, which really requires somebody to figure out. Right. You know, patients get illnesses at all times of of the day. And if someone has abdominal pain and they're not sure what to do, this helps them guide them. Do they need to go to the emergency room? Do they need to go to an urgent care? Can it wait till the morning? Patients don't know that. And, you know, I still work in the emergency room. We get calls all the time in the emergency room. What should I do? And we can never give medical advice over the telephone. But your primary care doctor can give you medical advice. Hey, go to the emergency room. That is something that needs to be seen tonight. Or you could say, look, that can actually wait till the morning. Come see me. I mean, there's there are some other efficiencies of this that really comes down to just the simple fact that that anytime you can engage your doctor and the patient in a better way, everyone benefits. I hadn't really thought of that, that it's kind of a way to in, to pre-screen patients. So it sounds like e-visit can be used two different ways. One, to actually handle the entire visit online, you know, remotely. But the other is to validate whether a visit is actually necessary. Exactly. What's the, because I'm sure I'm thinking like a primary care physician right now, what's the the liability there? I mean, do, do you notice that there's a significant number of doctors who no matter what the the patient says will say, yeah, 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 you, you know, come in right now or go to the ER because they're concerned about the liability there? Liability is always a great question because it's very real. The best way to answer that is look at what doctors do now. When doctors are on call and they talk to their patients and they prescribe something, there's no document of that. They, they, haven't, they haven't recorded anything. They haven't created a chart. So there's more liability when you have nothing documented than when you document something. And we most certainly document a chart of exactly what took place. We record the interaction. And that is actually from a malpractice perspective, much lower liability than having nothing documented. And, and I think that's an important distinction. What's the impact that e-visit has on the provider practices that, that it serves? You know, how have the patients and the physicians quantified the, the benefits? So we're, we're a relatively new company, but what I can tell you is there's, there's a few things that doctors care about. One is getting paid for their time. And number two, there's just these intangibles that you can't put a price on. They want to take care of their patients. So they they very much like the fact that these simple cases are now going to them, which increases their revenues, but they're also maintaining them within their practice. So they're, they're very happy with it. From a patient satisfaction perspective, I can tell you that we get about a 98% patient satisfaction. And, and the reason why is, and, and this is intuitive if you do one of these things, is you're doing it from the convenience of home. And it's a high level of care in the sense that you have your doctor's undivided attention. They see you, you see them, and then they e-prescribe medicine that's waiting for you at the pharmacy. 
Now, imagine the difference. I mean, you go to a doctor's office, he gives you a script. Or in the emergency room, I give people a script, and they got to go wait and get it filled. Now the medicine's waiting for them. And people care about their time. People are busy. People have kids. And so anytime you can make somebody's life more convenient and help them, they love it. And it helps doctors when their patients love what they're doing for them. It's interesting what you say there. Just last week, I was speaking with Dr. Sunny Munn, who works for a company called Rate My Hospital. And one of the things that she said primarily factors into patient evaluations of a healthcare facility is wait time or convenience, the the idea that something can fit within their schedule. So this definitely sounds very much like your findings are, are very similar. Yes. Understanding that, that e-visit is relatively new, but are there any theories or do you have any predictions relative to how what you're doing here is going to improve clinical outcomes or, or improve population health uh, of a patient base? I think we align great with what's going on with the ACA. You know, we're moving into a world where providers are, are actually managing risks themselves now, right? That's what an, AC, an ACO does. And it, it makes sense in the sense that when we, when we allow the system to do what the status quo is, which is go to the most expensive place, everyone loses. Now we're trying to manage people proactively. If someone has a sinus infection and we can treat them early, they get better. If people wait because of the challenges of getting into their doctor or not wanting to go to an expensive place because of, of costs, they can get much sicker. A urinary tract infection can become a kidney infection, right? I mean, there's just so there's a lot of advantages of having accessible health care that's simple and convenient so that you can you can keep these patients healthier and, and stave off some of the more complicated uh, things that come out from not getting treatment. Um, also, by saving money, again, this is an inexpensive way to treat people. And anytime you're, you're lowering costs, when you're talking about population health management, that's exactly what they're trying to do. So they're trying to do that, but also keep people happy and also provide good quality. And, and I think this aligns perfectly with that model. Well, it really sounds like it, you know, any, any healthcare system which is being paid fee for value or, or any healthcare system which is capitated really in any way, it would seem like kind of ticking off these types of things which can ha be handled very simply and head off bad things before they happen would be highly advantageous. Yes. And we actually have a pilot with a hospital locally here that will be using their hospitalists to interact with patients to decrease hospital readmissions, which is a big pain point for hospitals. And again, when you look at population management, anytime you're engaging patients and you're simplifying that engagement and there's accessibility, et cetera, you're creating value by lowering costs. And there will be, I think, some significant innovative things that come out of this as we delve into this more in the future. Wow. So let's talk about this um, pilot that you're working on with, with, your, with your local hospital. So what's happening is a patient's getting discharged and they're using your technology to, to interact after the discharge. Is that what, what's going on? To just kind of set up the issue, there are a lot of 
recurrent readmissions that hospitals face, people with certain congestive heart failure, pneumonia. And if those people return back within a certain time frame, that, that the hospital gets dinged and can actually lose money and can get less reimbursement from Medicare because of this readmission problem. And so what hospitalists want to do is bring value to the hospital and make sure that they can keep their contract. And hospitalists are the primary care of the hospital, so to speak, right? They're the internists that are taking care of the patient, discharging them. And so now what some of these doctors are doing is they're, they're doing e-visits with the patients once they get discharged to make sure that the patient's taking their, their Lasix, their water pill, right? Making sure they're on their antibiotics, making sure everything got filled, making sure they got an appointment with their primary care doctor. It's just following up to make sure that things are, are going right so that patient doesn't come back to the hospital. If you can do that for the hospital, that's very valuable. We're actually going to do a study by taking a, a certain cohort to see if we can really move the needle on this. And if we can, it, it'll just show you that you know having accessible, convenient patient engagement platform can, can do more than just the primary care business. It, it can impact hospitals' bottom line. So at discharge, then, what happens is, is that these, a series of e-visits is, is set up? you know, like right at the point of, of discharge? Yeah. So the, the hospitalist will, you know, talk to his patient and, and then actually say, I, you can use this to get a hold of me. I can use this to uh, the patient from the patient's perspective. I can, I now have a doctor I can talk to that took care of me in the hospital that I have a relationship with. And uh, again, you just stay connected once they're out of the hospital. Cause that's very important. That's the piece that gets missed when you, when you look at hospital readmissions is, you can do everything for the patient while they're in the hospital, but once they're out, you still need to have someone connected to that patient to help them navigate to make sure they're doing well. These are typically sick people that have chronic medical problems. So, you know, having access to a doctor is very valuable. Let's just circle back to the the, the payment for this. We've We've kind of touched on it a number of times. Let's start with the primary care setting, and then I'd, I'd love to get into the this this hospital setting that you've just talked about. How are the physicians being compensated for these visits? There's two ways. One is that you could actually bill, medically bill, payers for this visit. There are ICD codes with riders that allow you to bill for telemedicine. As long as you're doing a video-to-video interaction, you have that ability to bill for this. The other way doctors can set this up is to not do any medical billing, but charge their patients a convenience fee, a small fee that just allows them to access the site and, and get the care they want. From the patient side, if, if you imagine, let's say the fee is $30, it's, it's, a, it's a very small fee for people to get this kind of care, to, to take care of a medical problem, to not have to drive to their doctor's office or go to an emergency room. They're extremely happy with it. It's a very fair price, and everyone wins. It's always good when you can bring value on both sides of the equation and when it's a win-win situation. And that $30 is not insignificant to a primary care doctor. No, I mean, in many cases, it might be just as much as they're making from from Medicare, for example. Right, exactly. And it doesn't, of course, have the administrative burden, which is associated with collecting any dollars that, that filter through a third-party payer. That's right. I mean, you have no AR, and if people are doing this for a convenience fee, that money is sitting in a, in a bank account immediately. 
Have you guys ever thought about, you know, one of the things that I've been hearing a lot about are these just direct subscription models where patients pay X dollars a month. Usually it's it's relatively minimal in order to get certain privileges with with their physician. It, it occurs to me that this could be a direct subscription model. So instead of necessarily paying per visit, a, a physician pays, you know, 15 bucks a month or something uh, in order to have a certain number of the, the possibility of a certain number of e-visits a month. Yeah, you know, there there are a lot of different pricing models of how to facilitate this. But what we've come up with is is a model that we feel like it best fits both sides of the equation. And and we, you know, we think a, a, a small subscription fee to the physician makes the most sense and then have the patients use this as much as they as much as they'd like. But that may change and, and we'll see. The market will tell us what makes the most sense and we most certainly want to bring value to, to both the consumer and the, the provider. So that 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 that'll be a dynamic discussion. So we nothing's definitive there. There there most certainly are different ways to do this. So we'll see what works out the best. Well I can see from a, a patient standpoint, it, it's kind of six and one half dozen of the other. I mean if they're paying a copay anyway then the choice is, do I want to pay my copay and spend half my day going to my doctor's office? Or do I just simply want to spend my copay? <laughs> so if their time is valuable, the, the savings could actually be considerable for, for something like this from a, a patient standpoint. Right. Despite the fact that they're still paying their copay. Now, how is it working from the, the hospital standpoint? Are patients at discharge in this particular model or in how, you know, the, the model of the pilot that you're running or just in theory how you think it should work, would you anticipate that the patient should still be paying their copay or is this rolled into the bundled payment that the hospital is receiving? That would definitely be a free visit for the patient. Again, for a hospitalist, if they can provide value to the hospital and decrease readmission, then the hospital loves them, their contract is secure, they can do better within that system making money. But this would be definitely a free service to those patients because no one has been able to solve the readmission problem. No one's been able to solve it. There are a lot of things out there. There's transitional care, nurses, and all kinds of, of very innovative things, but no one solved it. And if you can help the hospital and bring value as, as a hospitalist, there are a lot of things that that does for you. So for them to do this for free is is the right approach, at least from our perspective in this uh, pilot that we're doing. And and we'll see where it goes. I, I think it's going to work. I think it's going to be a big success. And I think the hospital is going to love the hospitalists who are doing this. And I think this will potentially take off and have other hospitals groups want to do it. Well, I can certainly see why you you think that. I mean, generally speaking, in my experience, readmissions aren't something that just happens in a moment. Generally speaking, readmissions happen because the patient is or is not doing something or understanding something or adhering to something or visit their 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 PCP. I mean, generally speaking, there's some buildup there. And by giving the patient access to that information in a timely fashion that's very convenient for them, I can see how that the, the crescendo won't result, you know, the kind of the crescendo of activity is not going to result in a readmission. Yeah, I mean, I think if you can move the needle by engaging those doctors, having access to those doctors, 
it's just simple things, right? I mean, a patient gets discharged and they'll say, well, was I supposed to take the Lasix twice a day, once a day? You know, what did they want me to do? I mean, we think that we, we, we see these people for a short period of time and then they understand everything and they simply don't. And that's why we have the issues that we do. But you have to give them resources to, to solve the problem at home. And I think this does. And, it, and it's, it's not perfect. It's not, not everyone is technologically savvy. I mean, there, there are some challenges with it, but the status quo is not working and you have to try different things and you have to be innovative and you have to be able to be willing to, to, to look at different options because that's the way things get solved. And it's good. I mean, listen, keeping people out of the hospital again is a good thing for everybody. Again, it, it goes back to when you look at healthcare, everything is just skyrocketing. The costs are out of control. And we have to start fixing some of this stuff at some point. I'm, I'm hopeful and I'm excited about this opportunity. I think, I think it's, a, it's a very interesting time in healthcare, and I like the way we're positioned to, to help the system. So, Glenn, uh, let me get some advice from you. What questions do you think a provider group should ask before they hire any any technology partner? In other words, you know, we're we're talking now about what you just mentioned that healthcare costs are skyrocketing and and we need to figure out something to do in order to 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 stem that that flow and a lot of what we could do is in some way based in some sort of technology solution. I could see as a provider, though, we're, we're forging kind of unknown territory and there's a lot of options that are, are before us. What advice, you know, as a technology entrepreneur and a provider, <laughs> what, do you, what do you feel a provider group needs to be doing or asking as they start to evaluate these solutions? First and foremost, I think they need to be open to it. You know, let's embrace that we have a digital revolution going on and that the technology is there to help everyone. So first and foremost, I think we got to say, look, old school isn't, isn't going to get us where we need to get. We need the, the status quo is not okay. So let's be open to what technology can provide. The second thing is I think when you hire someone or a software system to help you or any technology, I think it's imperative that that, that technology has some healthcare provider involved in it. And the reason why is... We have certain ways of working as doctors and providers. We have certain workflows, certain way we do things. And if you have someone who just is from a technology aspect creating something and doesn't understand that, it's usually clunky. It usually doesn't work right. There's usually bottlenecks. And and the workflow is not seamless. So you need to marry someone who understands what doctors do, how they function, what they want to do from a business perspective and marry those two things. So I would strongly urge that any, any uh, technology have some healthcare people that have been in the foxhole who understand that stuff to uh, facilitate whatever it is you're trying to do. Thank you so much for being on the program today. I definitely have learned a lot. Awesome. This has been great. Thank you for having me. If you would like more information about eVisit, head over to eVisit.com. They have a pretty comprehensive website. You can get a demo of the, the, the system, eVisit, if you like. Also, all of the information about eVisit is located at RelentlessHealthValue.com slash 27. RelentlessHealthValue.com slash 27, if that is easier for you to remember. Did you know that you do not have to remember to download the latest Relentless Health Value podcast each week? 
you can subscribe. If you subscribe, then the episode will be automatically delivered to you in one of two ways. The first way is via iTunes. If you go to RelentlessHealthValue.com and you look over in the right-hand sidebar, you will see a gigantic orange dot. If you click on that dot, you will be taken over to iTunes. And if you hit subscribe there, then every week in your iTunes library, the podcast will automatically download. If you use the podcast app, it will be extra convenient. The other way to subscribe is by looking right underneath that large orange dot to a little form there that says, get the podcast delivered to your email. If you click on that button and type in your email address, then once a week you will get an email with a link to the podcast. It is very easy to subscribe. I'm so glad that you listened this week. Please interact with us on Twitter. We are at Relentless Health on Twitter, and that would be Relentless with only one S. So Relentless with one S, health. Please definitely feel free to interact with us, leave a comment, ask a question. We'd love to hear from you. And I very much hope that you'll tune in next week.